Welcome to the Vet Med Wellness and Leadership Podcast, where we discuss central challenges vet med leaders face, such as burnout, stress, and difficult interactions with clients and staff, just to name a few. In each episode, you will hear about actionable solutions that you can apply to your practice and invitations to connect with fellow leaders who are passionate about improving the wellness of the vet med profession. By subscribing, liking, commenting, or sharing this podcast, you're helping more veterinary professionals find the resources shared in these episodes. Thank you in advance for listening and supporting this show. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, everybody. Crystal Stokes here. And joining me today is Kirby B. She is a health coach for veterinarians and founder of Vet V Wellness. She's also a certified nutrition coach, personal trainer, and yoga teacher who focuses on teaching veterinarians wellness strategies and skills so they can continue to thrive in their careers. Kirby, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so excited to be here. Me too, because I love the topic we're going to talk about. But as a little icebreaker I thought we could do is intro with your full circle story. It's a big theme here on the podcast that most people that listen to this podcast have in some way experienced that journey of entering in a life in some professional way full of passion and drive and vigor. Somewhere along the way, things happen that bring us down to the bottom of that circle where we might feel burned out, exhausted, think of leaving the career. And then hopefully with time, something happens, intervene and bring us back to the top of that circle. So I'd love to hear your version of that. Yes. Well, I have a background in education and I graduated with my Bachelor of Education degree, raring to go and ready to teach children all around the world. I loved my job. I was so passionate about making learning exciting and, you know, creating lots of incredible experiences for my students, but my own health started to suffer. It started to creep in in little ways, like not sleeping so well, back pains, neck pains. I essentially would give all of my energy, you know, to my students, to my colleagues, to the parents all day long. And then I would come home and have barely enough energy to throw a frozen pizza in the oven. And that was as best as I could take care of myself at that time. So the years passed and I'm dedicated to my teaching career, but, you know, one at the at kind of the, at a peak point at one point in time in my career, I was so sick with chronic pain in my body that I could barely stand um, to teach anymore. I was struggling with depression, with anxiety, um, checking in with my doctors, doing, doing a lot of, uh, a lot of work you know, with my my doctors, but not really putting the work in to myself and working on those healthy skills that would actually make a, a difference in my life. So I, I wore myself out, you know, to the point that I couldn't teach anymore. And I had to quit that job so that I could try to focus on getting myself better. I didn't even know what I was going to do at that point, actually. And it was really scary because for me, my identity was being a teacher. That was who I was. If someone asked me, who are you? What do you do? I would say, I'm a teacher. I'm an elementary school teacher. And that was it for me. So to not be able to do that job anymore, I really felt this disconnect between 
you know, the way that I'm living and, and, and this identity that I had created for myself. So I was still so passionate about teaching that I, I kept taking contracts because I, I really didn't know what else to do. And finally, the, um, one of the last contracts that I accepted was at Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine. They recruited me for a position teaching grade one and grade two in their preparatory school. So this is a school that Ross University created so that um, the faculty and the students who came with their families to St. Kitts West Indies, where the university is, would have um, an American education for their children. And so I find myself at this veterinary university on a little Caribbean island, which I must say does do wonders for your mental health, being able to see the sunshine every day and put your feet in the water and just have palm trees hanging over your window whenever you look out of every window. It's just absolutely incredible. And I did fall back in love with teaching again because it was such an incredible experience to be able to, to teach in that environment. But at that time, because I had suffered so much with my health before, I made a decision when I moved to St. Kitts and began working at Ross that I was not going to live my life the way I did before. I could start to recognize my depression and the way that it was causing me to live. And I just kind of felt there was one night I was watching Netflix and it's like, you know, that moment where you're watching Netflix and um, Netflix asks if you're, if you're still there or if, you know, like if, if you're going to watch the next episode will come in 30 seconds or, or something like that. And I was, I just had this, this moment where I realized that I wasn't really living I was just slowly dying like one episode of Netflix at a time, <laughs> which sounds a little intense, but I feel like that was the kind of wake up call that I needed, the, the kind of conversation that I needed to have with myself. It's just how do you want to live, you know, like being so exhausted from your job that you come home and, and you just collapse. And Netflix is wondering if you're still, if you're still there, you know? Very symbolic, um, isn't it? It really, it really is. Um, and so when I moved to St. Kitts, West Indies, and I started working at Ross, I decided that I was no longer going to live my life like that. I felt like I had been given a second chance. I'd always wanted to live on a Caribbean island. And I felt like I'd been given a second chance. And so I just said, I'm not going to waste my life anymore. And I'm going to live my life doing all the things that I had always said I was going to do, but I couldn't do because I was so exhausted and tired from my job. So that's where I started getting up early in the morning, going to the gym. That's where I started prepping my meals. That's how I started like taking these little tiny steps, building these little healthy skills one by one. And eventually I started to feel really good in my body. And I noticed that my mood improved, my outlook, my energy, my sleep, everything is improving. And 
I eventually had no more need for the antidepressant medications that had been prescribed by my doctor because I was feeling so good we were able to wean off of those. So I started to understand how powerful taking care of yourself and having a healthy lifestyle really is. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to have more patience in my career. It allowed me to give more energy, actually. I learned that taking care of yourself could give more energy than take away, which was kind of my previous belief that if I had started exercising, I would be too tired to teach the children at school. But that's not really how energy works, as we know. You know, like <laughs> more energy builds more energy. You know, you have more, more to get overflowing. And so I started to become honestly like completely obsessed with fitness, exercise, nutrition. I was looking for ways to optimize my diet, my training program, my cardio, my sleep. And from there, that's kind of how the journey began. I began focusing on educating myself. Uh, with certification programs so that I could learn more uh, about these things that were making me feel so good. Eventually, just by living in that action, my colleagues at the veterinarian university started asking me, what was I doing? You know, Um, I was losing weight, my skin was glowing, you know, I had all this energy, I was going to the gym before work in the morning, and still having all of this energy, you know, to dedicate to teaching. And it was just really amazing to be able to be an example for other other people um, just by by living, you know, um, by by being in action. And from there it kind of evolved into opening up the first yoga and fitness studio on the island creating a space where a lot of my colleagues from Ross University felt safe to come, a space away from veterinary medicine and their colleagues and their peers so that they could relax. Eventually, that turned into um, a lot of the students and the faculty asking me for support in their nutrition so that they could quickly meal prep and you know get, get what they needed um, nutrient-wise to get through their hectic schedules. So it did feel like it kind of came full circle from me being in a place where I was just so overwhelmed and so exhausted that I couldn't even dream of taking care of myself or having these healthy habits to essentially being able to support someone else in changing their habits so that they're able to show up in their career. It's a great story. And I, and it shows how this, you know, it, this path, you never directly were seeking to be in veterinary medicine. You just saw this opportunity to be on an island and there you are suddenly immersed in this veterinary culture and finding out that you have something, a skill set and, and a knowledge base that's actually extremely helpful for many of the challenges that people in veterinary medicine are facing. And also your story, this full circle story is very relatable. I think many people listening will have experienced some version of that. Uh, that sense of of feeling really lost and uh, confused and s- sometimes hopeless, and then navigating your way through that. Everybody has a different path of how they move through it, but a lot of yours has been really finding that that way of supporting yourself, taking care of yourself, and and, and seeing how that really contributes to you being able to do even more of giving to the people that you really love to give to. 
Um, I'd love to, to bring this you know, closer to home with veterinary wellness. So you are completely focused now on veterinary well-being and wellness within your practice. And let's start off with where, when, when we look at the challenges that veterinary professionals are facing, where do you see the origin? Where does it start? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times whenever or, or in a lot of what my clients share with me as well is when they come to vet school, that's where if they don't have a, a good foundation of healthy habits, that's where they're really tested because veterinary medical school will consume a lot of your life. <laughs> And spending a lot of hours, very unpredictable kind of schedules. They could have labs one day. They could have block exams another day. They could be working, you know, in the field. There's just so many different things that they are doing very, very long days. If they don't have healthy, um, healthy living skills, like being able to meal prep, prepare their protein get their adequate nutrients, get adequate hydration, get their movement in, then you can really see their health taking a toll. Because if we don't have habit down pat, right? If, if our habits are a little all over the place, a little bit inconsistent, maybe we were able to get away with that in undergraduate degrees, you know? But whenever you're in that really, really hectic, challenging kind of environment and you don't have those habits down pat, it's really easy to fall into that place where I was, where you just come home exhausted and you don't have those habits to fall back into. It's not second nature. Right. So, I think you're right. I think it's a lot around what I see oftentimes on the the mental health side too. It's just big transition. So going from undergrad to grad school is a big transition. The volume of work is tremendously different, high. And also when veterinarians shift into first year practice, or if they're going to specialize going into residency, it's a whole nother level. Like they have to really work on the transitional phase. And I think that's where many people start to, to really struggle. Exactly. Similarly, I've had clients who were able to manage um, their healthy health, healthy living skills, I guess we could say, while they were in veterinary uh, medical school. But when they go into their clinical year and there's even more hours stacked on top of more of more hours, and there is, you know, plethora of treats and candies and goodies and takeaway food and a lot of times like caffeinated or or sugary options around that becomes even trickier to make the healthy choices because really making healthy choices is a habit and it gets easier the more that you practice it but if you've not really had a chance to practice it and then you go into that big transition like you mentioned you just don't really have any skills to fall back on. Right. I totally understand. And I feel like I can see these things in myself through time as well. I'm a big oh, yeah. Abbott fan. Let's yeah. talk about some of the most common health challenges that you observe in veterinarians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot. Um, that up. <laughs> so yeah, there, there are a lot of different challenges. And I also want to mention that these challenges are not exclusive 
to veterinarians. Um, many women, many humans can deal with these type of issues, um, especially especially people who are career focused and tend to put themselves uh, on the back burner in order to really show up fully for their career. So it's not just veterinarians who struggle with with these things, but it tends to it tends to be um, a lot of us. These are just the kind of things that I see in my clients um, that kind of tend to show up again and again um, in the veterinary profession. So a lot of veterinarians need to work really, really long hours and they don't have access to food or water while they're working due to, you know, the the medical environment that they're in. So while they're working these really, really long shifts, our body goes through a lot of different fluctuations of hormones, of stress. A lot of times they're not actually eating frequently enough or giving their body enough fuel to get through that long stretch of time. And so that's that's where we see people um, essentially under eating their calories during the workday, which then can lead into the next problem of unstructured or binge eating in the evening because they've gone for so many hours without getting any kind of adequate nutrient that they go home and it's the first thing that they see. Now, I'm sure you'll you'll this will resonate with you, but of course then what a lot of my clients will tell me is that they'll say I'm just not disciplined enough in the evening. And mm-hmm, I often will question them, is it really that you're undisciplined? Or is it that you have not given your body adequate nutrients? If you gave your body adequate nutrients, have a little more discipline in in the evenings. But it's it's that um that that's not it. You're you're not undisciplined, you're not unmotivated, you're not lazy, you're undernourished. Yeah. And I'll even speak to this. I used to work in eating disorder treatment as a as a psychotherapist. And um so we have a whole spectrum of eating disorders, including subclinicals. They don't actually meet diagnostic criteria. It's kind of the early phases of an eating disorder. And one of the things that I found really fascinating in, in learning how to treat eating disorders is the cycle of restricting and binging. And it, it's this it exactly what you described, which is restriction leads to binging. The body is very intelligent. The body knows um, how much fuel and energy that it needs. And so if you've not met those energy requirements earlier in the day, the body's going to survive. It's going to do whatever it needs to do in order to get that fuel. So that that moment of in quotes binging, or it may have just been overeating because there is a difference between binging and overeating. Most of us just overeat. It's it's simply the body demanding fuel. And um, yeah, I think being able to destigmatize it and take out the the label of being undisciplined is really helpful if we look at it from an energy perspective. And I think it's nice that you're able to address that with your clients. I'm sure it comes up often with the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that environment tends to um, create a lot of sugar and uh, caffeine mm-hmm. um, opportunities for sugar and caffeine throughout the day. Because if you're trying to get through a very, very long day, packed back to back with clients, and you don't have time to sit down and eat a well-balanced meal, that extra cup of coffee or donut or chocolate or whatever it is can give you that little burst 
of energy to kind of get you through. So that's another thing that we see as well, um, as opposed to getting adequate, you know, protein, carbs, fat, fiber, I'm seeing a lot of women in this industry choose caffeine and chocolates and things like of that nature just to get through, which is so understandable as well, because in that type of environment, going from case to case and sometimes cases being very, very challenging and the caffeine and the chocolate are always there. So it's like, it's quick fuel. And also I think, um, I'm sure you can speak to this is like the comfort of food, like the emotional side of eating when we're exhausted or, you know, the, we know that all the clients love to bring in little treats to thank you for taking care of their pet. Like there's a, the, the emotional component of food is also playing a really big role in these stressful environments. Absolutely. I hear about say that they will finish a really, really difficult case. And then, you know, that's that moment where they're, you know, hitting the donuts or the cookies or the coffee or something like that, because there is, there is kind of an emotional comfort food, essentially. And the emotional nature of the job definitely can trigger that, that desire for that comfort. Right. And, you know, something else I think we, I think we may have touched on this too in our previous call and we were just getting oriented to this conversation. You know, when we talked about habits that if we don't have habits in place, we're going to have to fall back on something else. And so that's where like convenience foods, just just trying to get a quick fix, whether it's like ordering to go or just grabbing something that's, you know, sitting there on the counter. It, it becomes the only strategy if we don't have a habit to fall back on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And um, one of the other things that I see with women who tend to gravitate towards veterinary medicine is that they tend to be a little bit more on the perfectionistic side. I think in order to get through all of the education that you need in order to become a doctor of veterinary medicine, there's a fair amount of perfectionist um, characteristics in in the community. And so what I find with uh, some of my clients is that they tend to approach their healthy habits in the same way. They're looking to be perfect, all of their healthy habits. So they want everything to look perfectly, like, you know, get up at this perfect time and do their meditation and eat their healthy breakfast and do their journaling and, you know, take on all of these things. And then if they're not able to um, complete the standards and the routines that they set for themselves, they can be really, really hard on on themselves. And it can fluctuate between this all or nothing kind of pattern. Absolutely. I see that all the time. Um, I think the, the people that are attracted to medicine, period, it, it's a, it is a profession that doesn't have a large margin for error. So having a perfectionistic ability can be really, really helpful at certain times. You just need to know when to use it and when to not use it. I'd love for you to kind of bring this into the area of mental health things. I know that's something that you're really passionate about is how our healthy habits can be linked to our mental health. You mentioned your own experience with depression, being on um, antidepressant medication and eventually coming off of that medication. So speak a bit to the connection you're seeing with, with well-being, nutrition, exercise, and mental health. Well, one of the studies that's kind of coming to light more and more is the understanding that our hormones are actually made in our gut. 
rather than in our brain as we, you know, might have imagined before. And so if your hormones, your serotonin, your your feel-good hormones, these hormones that help us regulate ourselves, if they're made in our our guts, our, our digestive system, then the food that we put in is incredibly important. So if we're not able to give ourselves adequate nutrients that we need um, in order to get optimal performance and, and feel better, then we could find that we essentially don't have that support for our mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really interesting. If people want to go on Google Scholar, which is where you can find peer-reviewed evidence-based research, and you type in uh, like the neurotransmitter serotonin, and, um, you know, gut health, you can definitely find some interesting studies being done. And also the link between exercise and, and dopamine, the, that neurotransmitter and dopamine makes us feel quite great. That's why we like things like coffee <laughs> yeah, and illicit drugs that stimulate dopamine. So I think that these things are really, really powerful. And the research is still budding. You know, we're still constantly learning how these things work. But I think a lot of people can like, uh, you know, anecdotally feel this themselves as they do eat adequate, you know, adequate levels of the micronutrients and macronutrients they need. They get hydration. They're moving their bodies, but they do feel better, and uh, that's powerful. Like just even if you don't know the science behind it, but you can, you know, kinesthetically feel different. We love that. Yeah, we love that. Yes, and and we know ourselves. Just like you mentioned, um, you know, the research is all there, but you know how you feel after a good little sweat session, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Even after drinking a glass of water or getting enough water, we know that we feel clearer. You know, we know we feel less tired. Um, We know we feel more alert, right? And so that was some of the feedback that I was getting from my clients. Um, When I first started and I opened the little yoga studio in St. Kitts, West Indies, I designed... um, the kind of all-encompassing program. And I would only accept clients if they were willing to work with me on everything. So I was asking, you know, my clients to show up for in-person training three times a week. Um, in addition, I asked that they do some cardio on their on their own time. And I also asked them to follow a meal plan as best as they could, which we co-created together so that they would like it and it would fit with their schedule. And, you know, they would feel that relief that they needed, that they could go into the grocery store and just pick up these things without feeling so overwhelmed. So I asked them to commit to me to commit to this process for 12 weeks. And the results were outstanding. My clients were telling me things like, they were not falling asleep in lectures anymore. Um, they didn't need their midday nap anymore. They could fall asleep, you know, instead of staying up worrying, they could actually get a good night's sleep, you know. Um, my clients who were students were telling me that their grades improved. Like they actually, and they were astounded because they thought that they were dedicating so many hours in the gym you know, um, doing their walks, doing their meal preps, doing their grocery shopping. They were concerned at the beginning if they actually could create the space to do this or if it would take away from their studying. Can they really afford to give up, you know, what is it? Like maybe let's say six hours a week 
that's a lot of time if you're a student, you know, um, are you, if to give that up to invest into yourself, they were not so sure at the beginning, truly, like they weren't sure how they were going to manage it all. But, you know, a few weeks in, we started to notice positive changes. And by the end of the program, I actually had a lot of my clients comment to me and say that they felt like they could handle their studies better when they were going to the gym three times a week when they were training than, you know, when the program ended and they were kind of like left to their own devices, they actually noticed a slip in in their ability to show up for themselves and perform academically. That's fascinating. So, Can you also speak to like recovery? Like how did you notice anything with your with the clients you've worked with in, the, in veterinary medicine when they are addressing their well-being? How do they recover from a stressful day or a stressful few weeks? I had, you know, so many times um, my clients who were coming to the yoga studio told me that they were so grateful to have that space, that they were just so grateful to be able to, you know, kind of try to shut their mind out for a little while, you know, and, and get into their bodies. And I think there is something about that. If you are in your head all the time, studying, you know, writing exams, doing a lot of really intense mental kind of work, you can become disconnected from your body. I think being able to come back to your breath, come back to your body, come back to being able to actually like feel your body, you know, feel the contractions, feel the stretches, feel, you know, the energy flowing through your body. It was so powerful in terms of um, being able to kind of come back to yourself and be able to regulate yourself a little bit better. Wonderful. It's such a good gift to bring people. I love the work you're doing. And as we're coming down the home stretch, so you've shared so much information. I think people can check out your website to really learn more. But for those that are like, you know, I just want one quick nugget. I want something I can take away today. Give me one of your pro tips that you think would be most helpful. Yes. So I think the most important thing, well, well, first off, what you want to do is look at your goal. So we always start with what is the goal? Is your goal to increase muscle mass? Is your goal to lose fat? Is your goal to do more cardio? Is your goal to really hone in and focus on your meal prep? And then from your goal, take a look at what skills you need to build. Like who do you have to become? in order to reach that goal. So we look at the skills and practices that are needed in order to reach that goal and then break your goal down on into habits and actions. And then just focus on one because if you could have one habit, just one thing, maybe it's that you get really good at preparing your meal. And if that feels like a lot, Break it down into an even smaller action. Break it down into, I'm going to get really good on preparing protein. So I'm going to check out all of the sources of protein that I think I might like to eat. I'll figure out where to shop for them. Figure out when I'm going to go shopping or have them delivered, whatever works for you. you know. And then figure out how I can prepare those and have them available to me. That one habit of preparing your protein, for example, that would link back to your goal and being able to lose weight, recover better, 
uh, lose fat, you know, essentially change your body shape and size. But protein has a lot of different functions. But just that one habit, that one tiny action can bring you so much closer to your goal. And it can really set the foundation so that when things do get challenging, or when you do go through a big transition, like we mentioned before, that you're able to hold on to that one thing and and make it really strong and make it really steady because it doesn't work to change your night over life uh, overnight we cannot do 180 new things the idea that we're going to wake up and do everything perfect tomorrow is a fantasy and when we when we kind of you know tell ourselves that fantasy we get this little dopamine hit and it feels really good but then when we fall off, um, it can feel really bad and we can be really hard on ourselves. So if we're just focusing on one thing, then that can actually take you a lot farther. And when that habit becomes normal, just like who you are, how you live, then you can look at adding another habit on top of it. And they just kind of stack and stack and stack until, you know, you essentially become that that version of yourself that you want it to be solid i i will pin that for sure one thing at a time i'm a big fan of that in so many different regards uh beyond just health and wellness for sure i think that's a great takeaway for people to end with today and for those who want to know more about you where's the best place for them to connect with you the best place is our website www.vetbeadwellness.com i have quite a few free resources. You can download our free high-impact habit tracker, uh, free meditations, and other resources are there. And we also offer one-to-one coaching as well. Awesome. I'll link all that up in the show notes. And Kirby, it's been such a blast to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you feel stoked after listening to this episode. And as always, I would love to hear your comments and feedback. Is there a topic you want to know more about? Please let me know. And thank you again for subscribing and sharing your favorite episodes with others. It really means a lot.